Well, good morning. <coughs> Testimonies are good. Testimonies uh, let others know what you've gone through or what you're going through or what God has done in your life and they're exciting things to do and exciting things to hear. I always love hearing those and it's sort of in line with what we're going to talk about today as we continue in the purpose of the church. Um, we're going to go through uh, today in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Um, last time we talked about are we spiritual mules? And we said sometimes we can be good workers, but we're not reproducing ourselves. And when we look at this, when we look at the purpose of what God has called us for, I think one of the very um, first and maybe even most important things we need to look at is that of sharing the gospel with others. We are saved for a purpose and a reason. We're not saved to get out of debt or to have our problems disappear. We're not saved uh, even from hell. He wants to deliver us from sin. And when we've been freed from sin, we want to share that with others. And so Matthew 28, at the, uh, starting at about the 16th verse, it says, The eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God has a, a calling on our life. And it's to share that gospel message that sets people free. Again, we work in a prison system, uh, Steve and I and others that have been officers there, and we know what it's like to deal with people that are, are bondage. They're in bondage, they're, they're locked up, they're removed from society. And... Every time I, I leave, you know, I think, what a, what a blessing to have freedom. Well, we live in a world where we look around and we see people living in bondage. You know, we sing that song, Amazing Grace, my chains are gone, I've been set free. We teach people in the prison that they can be free on the inside. But we need to teach people in the world around us that are in bondage, that are, that are held captive to sin, that Christ has come to deliver them from that. There's a story of a, of a man named George Sweeting, and uh, it's from the book called The No Guilt Guide for Witnessing. And when we talk about sharing Christ, that's what we're doing. We're giving testimony. We are witnessing to people. But it, it tells of this man, John Currier, who in 1949 was found guilty of murder, and he was sentenced uh, to life at hard labor. And almost 20 years into his sentence, um, he was... Um, pardoned for his center. He was going to be set free. And so in 1968, his sentence was uh, reduced. They sent him a letter, which he never received. And he continued to work this uh, tedious, hard labor of his life for another 10 years before somebody in the parole system discovered this, and they went and um, gave him the good news that he was free. Um, Sweeting, it says, concluded that story asking, would it matter to you if someone sent you an important message, 
the most important message of your life, and year after year, the urgent message was never delivered. Christ has given us that message. We are called as ambassadors of Christ to deliver this message, and we have the most important message that could ever be delivered to the lost. And yet we always put it off. We always keep it at, at arm's length. He tells us to be in the world but not of the world. Are you in the world? Are you sharing that gospel message? We who have heard the good news and experienced uh, freedom through Christ are responsible to go out and do that. That's what the Great Commission is all about. That is what he was talking about here. And even when he says in 17, some doubt it, sometimes we, we, we don't think that we are equipped to do it. We don't think we are able to do it. We don't think we are qualified to do it. But we are to proclaim that to those that are enslaved by sin in their life. Sin has a hold on people and it's drowning them. It's like the millstone around their neck in the sea. Are we doing all we can to make sure that that message is going out? It's not freedom from hell, but it's deliverance from sin. And there's a difference in that because I know before I was a Christian, I had some people, you know, say, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, if you don't want to go to hell, say this prayer. Well, that didn't really change anything in my life other than I didn't want to go to hell. If you ask anybody, do you want to go to hell? You know, very few would say, yeah, yeah, you know. They, no, I don't want to go to hell. So say this prayer and you don't go there. Okay, well, that's fine. I, I say this prayer and I get out of that ticket. But Christ came to deliver us from sin. He came to change our life from the inside out. He didn't go to the cross and, and say, you know, hell is demolished. He says, no. He went to the cross to pay for our sins, that we could be free from that. You know, we have a vital youth working going on here, and I think it's very important, and it's very important for our kids to hear the gospel message. There's some stats that I just want to share to you about evangelism that I think are important. It says 19 out of every 20 who become Christians do so before they reach the age of 24. Imagine that. 19 out of every 20 people that come to Christ do so before the age 24. After 25, 1 in 10,000. It changes dramatically. After 35, 1 in 40,000. After 45, 1 in 200,000. After 55, one in 300,000. After 65, one in every 500,000 come to Christ. After 74, only one in every 700,000 come to Christ. And that's out of Leadership Magazine. You can see the urgency of getting the message out and, and of doing it while they're young. That's why it says, train your children in the way they should go. We raise them up so they know the gospel message so they know that story of Christ so he became, comes in their life and begins to make those changes in their life. They're growing in a, in a good environment. You know, we're in the springtime where the, the greenhouses are all in uh, full bloom right now and they got all their stuff going and you walk in there and, and they're climate controlled and, and they're just perfect um, climate for things to grow. That's why we do it with children. See, the older we get, the harder it is for us to change. You know, I'm going to be 60 this year, and, and uh, I find in my life that 
I, I get a little bit more used to routine. I don't like change as much as I used to. I used to just sort of like fly by the seat of my pants with everything. And now it's like I'm in a routine. And I resist change a little bit more. As believers, we got to be open to change. We got to remain pliable in our life. You know, the, the tree that is pliable weathers the storm a lot better than the, the one that is so strong that it snaps in those times of trial. One of the reasons that our children are vital to this church is because they're ripe for the gospel. We need to thank those that take time to work with the children. We need to take time to thank those that pray for our children. And there's many ways that, that you can assist, I would think, with uh, the children's programs that go on as even like making cookies or snacks or just extra eyes sometimes. We have not become, they have not become yet set in their ways. And they're open, they're like little sponges that want to soak this in. So we need to begin focusing on the story of the gospel now for young ones. But for most of us, we're in the world with the older ones. We're in the one to every 200,000 or one to every 100,000. I believe it's just amazing as I, as I look and, and see how the church has become less influential in society today. And I think part of that might be the church's fault. Because we don't have that passion and that burning to go out and win the lost to Christ. When I first got saved some 30 years ago, I mean, we had evangelistic meetings, we had missions conferences, and those meetings were like four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they were well attended, and mission meetings, the same thing. You look around now, you don't see a lot of that. You see it once in a while, and then if you do see it, it's usually only for a day or two because people are so busy with their life they can't make time for it. The authority is in Jesus. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. You know, when we talk about our method of evangelism, sometimes we may not think that we are quite qualified in the things that we do. And uh, I like reading D.L. Moody as one of the authors that I like to read. And he talks about a time where uh, a woman came up to, to him and, and she said, that she really didn't like his method of evangelism. And he said, you know, he said, I, I really don't like it that much either. What is yours? She says, I don't have one. And his response was, well, then I, I like mine better. <laughs> we need to have some method of evangelism. We have, to, we have to be willing to do something that God has called us to do. But by whose authority do we do this? We're not doing it in our power. We're not doing it in our might. We're not doing it in our wisdom, because if we are, we're going to fail. We're going to get burnt out. We're going to get tired of this thing. What gives us the right to proclaim this gospel? What right do we have to disrupt others' lives? You know, the statement always is, we don't talk politics, we don't talk religion. Well, the reason the world is in the shambles it's in is because of politics and because of religion. He has given us a message to send out. What makes our beliefs more important and unstoppable? Jesus. The command that he gives us right here in Matthew to the church. 
gives us that right to disrupt people's lives. Listen, I'd rather disrupt somebody's life and have them reject it and be able to stand before God of their own accord than for me to stand before God and say, I had the opportunity to share with this person and never did, and therefore they're gone. See, God has given us these commands. He's given us the authority and he's given us the ability when we stand in his power. Again, it's not us. It's not about us. It's always about Christ. It's always about Jesus. And if you're a true Christian and you love the Lord the way that we sing about and the way that we profess, we want others to be part of this family. I love that you switched the song last week, Gene, at the end. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, and we want others. You'll notice we say brother and sister around here. We want that family to grow. And he's given us that authority. He's given us that power. And like Jesus, and just as John was, uh, or as uh, Pastor Moore was sharing in Luke, just like Jesus, we have authority. He's given us authority to do things. He's given us the authority to make disciples. Can you imagine that? You and I have the ability and the power and the authority in Jesus' name to make disciples. We have the ability to baptize and the authority to baptize people in their lives. We have the authority to share this gospel and we have his authority to do all the things that he has called us to do. All these gifts in scripture, all this talking about God's power in our lives, and we're good at talking about that in the church. We're good about talking about, you know, all this power. But it references the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. God has given us the Holy Spirit in our life. So when the Holy Spirit is active in my life, that means that I take a back seat. My flesh, my wants, my desires. And I let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do in my life. There's one passage that tells us why we are filled by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says this. It says, the power for witnessing. Why do we get the Holy Spirit? Everything is it just like a gift that He just gives us, just so? Is it like a warm fuzzy? What is it? No, He's given us this Holy Spirit to give us power and to give us this authority. He says, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my." witnesses. Sometimes when preachers preach, they'll say, can I get a witness? Somebody will say, amen. You know, you give a witness. When you're out in the world doing what it is that you do, God wants you to be his witness out there. So why is it that we don't witness to others? Why is it that we're sort of like these spiritual mules that, that love to do the work, love to come together, love to, to worship and praise together, but we don't replicate. And then there's, there's some reasons in there. A lot of it is failure. We failed in the past. We've tried to share the gospel with somebody in the past, and they've rejected us. It's like, you know, I, I remember like in junior high, and you'd go to the dance, okay, like I was this nerdy guy, and, and you, you know, they're standing on the wall, they're standing on the wall, and you'd go ask this girl, you want to go dance? And she'd say no, and I was like, oh, I'm crushed. I'm never doing that again. I'm so humiliated. I'm so embarrassed. We've done those things in our life, haven't we? We've tried something and we failed. 
But there's great worldly examples like Thomas Edison. I mean, he failed at a lot of things, but man, look at the patents that he produced and the things that he succeeded at. Part of success is, is just trying again. You know, if, 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 you're a, if you're a baseball fan, you understand you don't get a hit every time you're up at the plate, right? You're lucky if you're hitting one out of four, okay? Why do we think any different with Christians? Why do we think when we witness that we're always going to be successful? Most people, and I think the stat was something like 90% of people uh, don't continue to witness because they failed at some attempt before. Sometimes they're biblically illiterate. Again, churches don't like to hear this, but you need to be in your word. You need to be reading the Bible. You need to be in a study. You need to be you know, doing devotions. The more that you are in God's word, the more it speaks to you. Okay? Now, you can have all the knowledge in the world. I mean, I, I, I share a story every now and then, and if I've shared this before, I, I'm sorry, but when I worked at Lincoln Hills, I had a young kid come in, so I was juvenile prison, and he wrote me, he says, uh, I want to start an Awanas club here. I thought, wow, I never heard anything like that, so I called him up, and he was telling me all about this, and he says, I got like 600 scriptures memorized, and, and you know, he was telling me all this stuff that he had learned in Awanas, and he wanted this this uh, club to get going in, in the prison, in the juvenile prison. And, and I said, what are you doing here? And he started to tell me about his crime. And I said, no, I, I don't care about your crime. You know all this stuff. What are you doing here? And he said, so matter-of-factly, I never applied it to my life. So when we study God's word, we study to show ourselves approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. Okay, so some of us are biblically illiterate. We don't even know how to explain the gospel to somebody. You know, it's like, well, you know what? Somebody told me I'm not going to hell because I said this prayer, and I don't think you want to go to hell, so say a prayer like this. Well, that's not really salvation, okay? We need to talk about why man fell, that he was lost in the sins, that God had a plan, that he sent a redeemer, and that was in Jesus Christ. And that we are bound in sin. And it's because of that sin that we are going to miss out on eternal life. It's because of that sin that, that hell happens. But God has come to set us free. He's come to give us new life and that life more abundantly. He's come to give us a hope and a future. And so we can go through that. And as we learn how to witness and to share those things, that's when we become literate in the Bible. Now listen. You know, I, I've pastored a long time, and I still feel myself sometimes biblically illiterate. The more I read the Bible, it's like, man, how did I miss that? There was a time when I first got saved, I read through the Bible once, thought I had it all figured out. And now, down the road, I, I keep reading it and think, man, there is so much there. So much there. So some people don't share because they don't even know what to share. They don't know how to share. And again, when we get involved in, in studies or fellowship groups, we learn how to do those things. Some want to leave it to the professionals. That's the pastor's job. That's the deacons and the elders and the board's job to, to save people. I'll bring them to church. They can get them saved. Well, bringing them to church is a good thing, but it's not a professional's job. There's a story about Billy Graham one time when he had one of his crusades where um, they used to have two, three-night crusades sometimes, and they'd have different speakers the first few nights, and then he'd usually do the closing night, and he sort of went incognito at one of these events and 
was sitting out in the crowd and at the end when one of the, the pastor who was given the message gave the altar call, he could see this guy sort of squirming and he said, hey, he said, you know, do you want me to go up there with you? Are you ready to accept Christ? I'll walk up forward with you. And the guy sort of hemmed and hawed a little bit. He says, no. He says, I think I'll wait for the big guy tomorrow, which is talking about Billy Graham. We leave it up to the professionals sometimes. Well, guess what? Most people come to Christ not because of the pastor, not because of the, the deacon or elder board or church leadership board. They come to Christ because somebody has invested in their life, and that is you. Some believe that they shouldn't impose their faith on others. Again, we don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics. So what we say is, well, we'll sit on the sidelines as we watch these people file into hell. Is that your job? Are you good with that? Does that make you feel good about yourself? No, Christ has called us. He says, go therefore. Go and do these things. Sometimes it's listening to Satan's lies. And I think as Christians we all do this at times. We may not like to admit it, but we do. <clears throat> Who are you to share the gospel with somebody? Look at your life. You know, Satan talking to me. Look at your life, Craig. You're, you're a mess at times. You don't got it right. How can you share? And we listen to Satan's lies. Christ didn't come to save the perfect. He didn't tell us we need to be perfect to share him. He's the only one that's perfect. So we, as broken vessels, share that which is perfect. And that's what makes sense to others. So he tells us, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wherever you go should really be our understanding of that today. Okay? Because we go a lot of places, right? We are a country on the move. We are a people on the move. We're... Wherever we are at, we are somewhere, right? Does that make sense? Wherever we're at, we're somewhere, okay? And most of the time, there's people around. So our daily business takes us to many places. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's the, the, the coffee gatherings that we have. Maybe it's just fellowship time, wherever we're at. Uh, but this is where the goal command is filled. When he says go, it's not like, i got to go to Mexico. I mean, Billy shared that at his, his uh, missions presentation. That's easy sometimes. I don't need to go to Africa or to Switzerland or, you know, Cancun, I think, would be a nice place to go evangelize. <laughs> you know, it's not that way. It's wherever we go. I go to work. I go meet friends. We go and talk to different people. That's where we go. Wherever we are at in our life, is where we can be a witness to people. Thinking about uh, church that I come across, I, I read these stories, I just love these stories about how God works. But this was about a young man that was enlisted uh, in the army, or his branch, whatever it was. And um, when he was going through boot camp, he would get down every night and, and pray. And the rest of the guys, they were playing cards and probably drinking beer or whatever they were doing, and he'd get down and pray. And He talked about how they would throw boots or they'd yell at him or cuss at him or, you know, who are you and blah, blah, blah. And this went on for several nights, and he, it really bothered him. And he went and saw the, the division chaplain, and he wanted to talk with the chaplain. And he was telling him what was going on, and the chaplain was like, you know, you got to share that living space with those people, you know, and if they don't like it, God still hears you if you pray silently or if you're praying while you're in bed. 
He says, you know, don't, don't be that way to those people because they live there too. So several weeks went by and the chaplain saw this, this young man again and asked him, he says, how are things going? And he says, well, they're going better. But he says, to tell you the truth, after about three days, he said, I felt like a whipped puppy. So he says, I got back out and started praying. And he says, the last few weeks we've had three people come to Christ and we're praying that others will come also. See? What kind of Christians are we? Are we these whipped puppies? Because I'm tired of weak Christianity. You know, we, we have this weakness and meekness thing that uh, all, all mixed up and sometimes we, we're just weak. We're afraid of what this world has to throw at us. We need to be out and out for Christ. We need to be bold in our evangelism. We need to speak the truth and let people hear the truth because that's the only hope that they have in this world is that truth of Jesus Christ. Are we doing that? If they want to call us fools, go ahead. The day of crowning is coming pretty soon and we're going to be there with Christ receiving those things that God has promised us and are we bringing others with us? Are we sharing that gospel so others are there also. I think it was Ray Boltz had a song a long time ago called um, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And, you know, if you've ever heard that song, it's pretty amazing. Because, like, in this world, it was like he really didn't know if anybody was being affected. But then it talks about, you know, there was a line as far as the eyes could see because of your hospitality. You know, you shared something in Sunday school. You had an act of kindness. You had this or that. You know, we don't know the lives that we impact. We don't know when we speak that one uh, piece of truth if that's going to take hold or not. And so we always need to really do that. You know, there's a, a picture of a, on a missions uh, magazine years and years ago where on the front it said, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. It was one of these billboards that you wear front and back. And on the back it said, whose fool are you? you got to think about that as believers. What are we doing? So he tells us, make disciples. The command uh, in this great commission is to make disciples. So what's a disciple? A disciple is a student. We need to make students of God's word. We need to train them. We need to teach them. We need to rear them in God's word. And that's what he tells us to do. That's what he actually commands us to do. It really means we are to make learners of Christ. We need to encourage people to learn more about Christ. It's not a one and done thing. It's not just a prayer and I'm on my life doing the things I want to do. God has something greater for us to do. And I think, you know, the older we get, the more that we see that we've maybe not done that in the past and we need to do more of that in our life. So how do we begin? We begin by being a disciple ourselves. Okay, we need to be examples you know, it tells us in, in Timothy and Titus, you know, be examples to those. And Peter says, uh, he has left us an example. Christ is our, is our perfect example, but he's left us an example. We need to be examples by accepting and learning about Christ. We need to set that example because people are a lot more apt to do what you do than to do what you say, right? When I was young, my mom was a drinker and a smoker. And she'd always tell me, you know, don't smoke and, you know, don't drink. Meant nothing to me. I smoked and I drank. You know, her, her example wasn't there. It was sort of hypocritical. So, you know, 
They learn by what they see. Sometimes we hear that. I can tell that that's, you know, your father's son. Okay? Meaning that they're growing up in you. And it scares me sometimes when they say that. Well, he's just like you. Okay. Is that good or is that bad? You know, you got to think sometimes. I like to think it's good because I like to think that I've raised my children right. Or they'll say, she's just like her mother. You know? They learn from those things. Well, guess what? Dysfunction sort of cycles itself too. Many of the ones, again, that we work with, and it's just easy to pick on prison population, but a lot of those, their parents, their families, have all been into drugs, have all been into crime, have all been into these things that are going on, and it's generational and generational and generational. And Christ says he can break you free from that cycle. And even in our life, he can break us free from that cycle. I told you, my childhood was not a good one. But there came to a, a point in my life after I accepted Christ where it's like, I don't want this life anymore. There needs to be something different. And Christ said, trust in me. So we're, we're examples. We need to be with people that will speak the truth to us. We need to have people that we can be accountable to in our life. We need to have people that we can sit and go through the scriptures with and be challenged with each other through the scriptures. You know what? We're not always going to agree on every scripture or the meaning of every scripture. But we can sit and be challenged with that. And at least we're in God's word. And when we're in God's word and we're praying and we're letting that Holy Spirit work in our life, the Holy Spirit is going to show us what we need to know. So the question is, is where is your evidence? Where is your evidence that you are what God is calling us to do in, in Matthew, I think in Steve's prayer, he said, you know, as individuals and as a church. Well, the church goes as the individuals go. So I preach to the individuals here. But as a church, we look at this too. Where are we? What is our evidence of reaching out, of, of making a difference in somebody's life? You know, even as a pastor, when I go to a Bible study, uh, if, if I'm paying attention and really, you know, focused in, I learn things. I glean things. God speaks to me. Even as we're sitting here, I, I, something comes to mind. I'm taking notes as, as the scripture's being read or as a prayer's being said because God is bringing things to mind. We're always going to learn something new. So get in the Word. Make disciples. Train them up in the way that they should go. Fourth is baptizing. Probably the simplest thing that God will call us to do as a believer and it's just a public profession of an inward change. A lot of people wrestle with baptism because they're sort of singled out sometimes. Well, I don't want to have all this attention on me. I had a lady tell me one time, you know, my hair is going to look bad when I come out from the... <laughs> See, that's when we make it about us, right? The church has too much us in it already. We need to get us out of it and let Christ reign in his body and in his church. We're, there's a public profession. Again, as an example, it's a beautiful way to project and baptizing that I am dead to myself just as Christ. I'm dead, buried, and I'm rising again in a new life. Who cares what I look like when I'm wet? You know, it doesn't make a difference. It's the easiest thing that we can ever do. It's the first step of obedience in the New Testament church that God calls us to do. And then he says, teaching to obey. Obedience. So we can talk about making disciples. But he says, teaching them to obey. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. That observation or to observe doesn't mean just to 
teach them to sit back and look at this. No, teach them to put these things into practice. God's word is here that we could put it into practice. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. It's not just the Ten Commands. It's all the other things he says. We've talked about it. Forgiveness. It's, it's loving one another. It's showing mercy. It's being patient. So if somebody compels you to walk one mile, you walk two miles. If they strike on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. It's going out wherever that might be, the goal factor of all this. It's getting in his word, studying to show yourself approved. The Bible tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. Ah, oh, but I do this and I do this and I do this. God understands this. Listen, God never understands sin in our life. He knows the sin in our life, but he never says, oh yeah. You know, Craig, I sort of understand. You've been through a lot lately. Go ahead. Uh, that's not God. He hates sin. And it says when his spirit is full in our life, we hate sin as he hates sin. So we need to obey. He desires our obedience. He wants that for us. And guess what? He empowers us to have that victory in our life. We cannot do it standing on our own. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The very last sentence that he says. And I am with you always. He is with us. We don't need to deal with it ourselves. I want to close just with another man that his name was T.H. Huxley. He was an agnostic. So an agnostic is somebody that believes a lot in the material things. They would probably say of, of, of Jesus and of God that uh, they would believe that there was a physical Jesus, but there's not enough evidence, and this is what an agnostic is, to really prove or disprove that God really exists and intertwines in the world. So this is where this guy was from. And he was, he, he's well known. He was an author and he was a speaker and, and different things. And, and there's a story about him where he was at a, a group of men one weekend at a, at a house gathering. Uh, they had like this groups of friends and stuff that come together. Sunday morning come around and uh, most of the guys were getting ready to, to go to church. It wasn't a church function they were at, but some of the guys were just getting ready to go to church because when we love the Lord, that's what we do. And I want to tell you something here. This is a side note. It bothers me. I don't know if it bothers God, but it bothers me. When we have people sometimes in our congregations that say, well, you know what, I had family up this weekend. And uh, because they don't go to church, we don't go to church. You've got to teach them. You've got to make disciples out of them. Show them what's most important in your life. But anyways, so back to Huxley. So this group, there's a chunk of these men that were going to, to church. And he had spoke with one that, that he knew pretty well. And uh, he said, you know, will you stay back and, and talk to me about this Jesus and why you believe him? And this, this man was a little skeptical because he knew this Huxley was a, a great debater. And, you know, I mean, he had formed his opinions and he was just strong at, uh, at what he did. And he just says, you know, suppose you just stay, stay home and, and tell me um, why you're a Christian. And so... Um, he says, I don't want to argue with you. Huxley was saying, I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to debate these things. I just want you to tell me simply what Christ means to you. And so this gentleman did stay. And he, he talked with that guy. Because sometimes there's more important things than coming to church. Right? 
Here's a chance to witness. I'm going to close with a different story after this. The man uh, did, but when he was finished, Huxley, Huxley said this. He says, I would give my right hand if only I could believe that. There's people that want to believe, but it's the Holy Spirit that, that leads them to Christ. It'd be nice to say, oh, you know, this Huxley accepted Christ. I don't know if he did later in his life. Um, but the story isn't really about Huxley. It's about this man who saw the opportunity to be a witness and to share. And along those lines, there was a, a man that came to our church when we were up in Jump River several years ago. And on his way to church, he saw a man alongside of the road. Actually, the guy was walking. And he sort of stopped and says, you need a ride. And he says, oh, yeah, my truck got a flat tire back down the road here. And, and uh, you know, I'm just walking home. We had a long ways to walk. So this guy actually says, you know what, let's go get your tire fixed. He worked at Courtesy. He, he is Sunday, so Courtesy's closed. But he took him. He, he worked there, so he had the keys, went in, fixed his tire, got the guy all home whatever, did all this, and, and the guy called me later that day. He says, I'm really sorry I missed church. And then he told me that story. And I said, you were right where God wanted you to be. There's no need to be sorry for missing church for that. And actually down the road, the man that he helped ended up coming to our church. And it was just a, a wonderful thing. And uh, so God gives us opportunities. He gives us these things. So he tells us, go therefore. So are you a goer? Are you a doer? Are you a witness? I want you to think in your, your mind today before you leave. And we're getting ready to close. Is there somebody that you need to reach out to this week? Somebody that's maybe been on your heart and you've sort of held them off a little bit or you've uh, decided you're too busy for whatever reason or others. Or somebody that you really think needs to hear the truth. That really needs to hear the gospel message. That needs hope spoken into them. Is there something in your life that maybe you've decided, you know, you've wrestled with that maybe you need to change? Maybe it's getting involved in a Bible study or a devotion with some guys or, or some gals. Being a part of, of something uh, bigger and different. Because we don't need a, a bunch of, of individual fingers. You know, if I cut all my fingers off and laid them on there, they're, they're no good to me. They need to be a part of the hand, right? That's why Corinthians talks about the body. Some are ears, noses, eyes, feet, hands, mouths. We're all part of something. Is there something God's speaking to your heart to do? Can you commit to doing that this week? Can you, as an individual, say, I read this great commission, and this, I believe, is what God wants me to do. And then make the decision to walk in his power and in his authority to fulfill that in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for your word, because your word is rich, and your word speaks to us, and it is your word that makes us wise unto salvation. It is through your word and the understanding of your Holy Spirit that we get discernment of even the words to say and to share with people. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the individuals here, Lord. We stand back and we look and we see people that are involved here and there and, and they're doers. They are doers. And we're thankful for that. But Lord, help us never to be content where we're at because we know that you continually want us to grow and move on and to continually grow in our faith and our love for you 
and our love for others. And Lord, we need a love for others. We need a love for the lost. We need to pray for them, Lord. We need to pray for our government, as was mentioned. What a mess, our world, what a mess. But Lord, you came to offer that mess a way out. And Lord, we are those conduits, we are those ambassadors. So Lord, speak to our heart today and as we get ready to leave today, Lord, may we purpose in our heart to follow you. We thank you again for this time and ask your blessing as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.